First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Your Bibles today, and I hope that you do, uh, would you turn with me please to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, and we're looking at the second chapter in that book. We're going to look at a story today that's one of those stories that if you grew up in church, you probably heard this story at some point when you were a kid, but it's the kind of story that uh, maybe sometimes we fail to ever go back and look at this story uh, again and think about the significance of it. But it's an amazing story uh, that describes the birth of one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, a man named Moses. I'm calling this message today, A Mother, a Baby, and a Basket. And while I am particularly thinking about moms today, I believe there's going to be something in this message for all of us. Because yes, this is a story about a mother and her baby, but it's also a story about courage. It's a story about faith. It's a story about God's sovereignty. And it's also a story about a rescue which is something that every single one of us desperately needs. Now, just to give you a little background before we read this story together, uh, at this time, God's people, the children of Israel, were living as slaves in the land of Egypt. Uh, They had come to Egypt 400 years earlier during the days of Joseph. And at that time, they were treated very well. But Exodus chapter 1 tells us that, again, 400 years had passed. A new Pharaoh uh, now was ruling that didn't know Joseph, didn't remember Joseph, and didn't care. And so he had uh, made the Israelites his slaves. He put them through grueling forced labor and had them build cities all over Egypt for them. But also we read in Exodus 1 that the Egyptians were afraid of the Israelites because no matter how much they oppressed them, they just continued to multiply and they were so numerous. And the Pharaoh was worried that one day if they were ever attacked that the Israelites would join with their attackers against them. And so Pharaoh wanted to try to control their population growth, especially he wanted to control the number of Hebrew males in their population. He wanted to keep the number of men who might fight against him one day to a minimum. And the first way that he tried to do that was by working through the Hebrew midwives who were there when the babies were first born. And he tried to get them to kill every child that was a male when he was born, but they feared God more than they feared the Pharaoh and they refused to do it. And so at the very end of Exodus 1, we read that now Pharaoh is no longer trying to secretly uh, carry this extermination of the Hebrew males out. Now he has just come out and, and, and called all of his people to be a part of this project. He's called every one of his people to kill every male Hebrew boy and to throw him into the Nile River. And so this is what has just taken place. This edict has just been given to kill every Hebrew baby boy. And in our story, we read about the birth of a Hebrew baby boy. Let's see what happens to him. Exodus 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. 
and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Verse five, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you for this story that we find in your word, a story that we know you intend to use in our lives even today, even on this day. And so, Father, as we read it in the next few moments and study it and think about it, Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, change us because of our time today in your word? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we walk through this story today, there are three aspects that I really want us to notice together. And the first aspect of this story to notice is that this is the story of a desperate mom. And verse one introduces us to her and to her husband. We find out that they are both from the tribe of Levi. Now you might remember that the nation of Israel was divided into 12 tribes and later through the law that God would give to Moses, the tribe of Levi was identified as essentially the clergy of the nation of Israel. They were the priestly tribe where their spiritual leaders would come from. Now here we're not given the names of Moses' mother and father, but elsewhere we're told that his father's name was Amram and his wife's name was Jochebed. And by this time, this couple already had two other children. They had an older child who was a daughter named Miriam, who shows up pretty significantly later on in this story and the rescue of her little brother Moses. She was probably somewhere between six and 12 years of age at this time. Uh, They also had a son already who was three years old by this time, Moses' big brother, Aaron. And then in verse 2, it says that Jochebed gives birth to their third child, and it was another son, of course, the boy that we know as Moses. Now, we have to remember, this was way before uh, the days when uh, you would uh, get an ultrasound in your 18th week of your pregnancy and find out whether it was a boy or a girl. That This was way before uh, you might use uh, pink or blue balloons or confetti and have a gender reveal party, right? At this time, and for most of human history, uh, the only gender reveal party took place uh, when the birth took place. And Uh, The dad would run outside and say, it's a boy or it's a girl. But I have a feeling that on this occasion, when this child was born and they saw that it was a boy, that Moses' father did not run outside and scream at the top of his lungs, it's a boy. Because we just have read that there was an edict that had been given by the most powerful man in the world at that time, the Pharaoh, to put to death every Hebrew baby boy. So perhaps Moses' mother and father looked at each other and whispered, it's a boy. 
and said, Lord, help us because it's a boy. And would you protect him? Would you save him? In my version, it says in verse two that when his mother saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Now, I don't think that means that if he wasn't such a beautiful child that she wouldn't have hid him or protected him. Really, uh, the Hebrew idiom that is used there really just means that, that she saw him and she longed to keep him. And so as any mother would do, she wanted to protect him uh, and do all that she could to keep him alive. Uh, for the first three months or so, that was probably easier uh, because normally in those first three months of, of life, uh, we know that babies sleep a lot. Uh, they also kind of stay wherever you put them. And so probably during those first three months, um, Moses's mom, Jochebed, was probably doing like most of us have been doing for the last six or seven weeks. She probably didn't leave her house a whole lot. Uh, probably Moses's dad had to go out to Publix and get the groceries and bring those home uh, so that they could stay there at uh, the house. But once the child reached three months of age, hiding him was starting to get a little bit more difficult. It's harder and harder to protect him from prying eyes and prying ears. And she knew that she had to do something else. And verse three tells us what she does. It says, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. My version says that she took a little ark. Some other versions use the word basket. Uh, it was made from bulrushes or from papyrus that grew on the banks of the Nile. Uh, we do know that this basket had a top to it because in verse six, it says that Pharaoh's daughter had to open it before she can look inside and see that there was a baby inside of this Basket. Jacobed uh, took asphalt and pitch and, and waterproof with tar, uh, the basket. Again, she was doing everything she could to keep her little baby alive. Now, technically speaking, when, when she took that basket and she laid that baby in the Nile River, she was technically obeying the letter of Pharaoh's law, who said that every Hebrew baby boy needed to be put into the Nile River. She did that, but she was obeying the letter of the law, but not the spirit of it, because, of course, her hope and her prayer was that somehow, some way, the Lord would save her child. Now, we don't know from this text whether uh, that basket floated down to where the princess was that very same day. That's the impression I get from reading the story. But it's also possible, as one scholar suggests, that Moses might have been in the basket for some time. It says that he was laid very close to the edge of the river. It's possible that his mother even took him out of the basket several times and might nurse him and put him back whenever uh, there weren't uh, eyes around to watch what she was doing. We can't be sure, but what we can be sure about is that this was a mother who was desperate, who was doing all that she could to try to keep her baby boy alive. You know, there might be some other uh, moms who are watching this right now who are desperate. And not desperate perhaps for the same reason that Jochebed was. Not desperate because you have a pharaoh who's coming after you to try to harm your child. But maybe desperate for other reasons. Maybe desperate even just the economic impact of what we're going through right now with COVID-19 and its effect on the economy. Maybe you're a single mom and uh, you, you've lost work or your hours have been cut back and you don't know how you're going to be able to provide uh, right now. Maybe you're desperate for another reason. Maybe you're desperate because uh, you're in a desperate situation in your marriage. 
and you're just praying and you're asking God to intervene and to bring healing and to bring restoration. Maybe, maybe you're desperate spiritually for your children. Maybe your children are even grown and, and, and are gone and are out of the house. You, you put that basket on the water years and years ago and, and released it when your children reached adulthood. But right now what you see is that your children are drifting further away from God. They're not coming closer to Him and you're just yearning for them to turn to the Lord. Maybe your grown children, maybe your teenage children. I, I don't know what that reason is that you might be desperate today as a mom or as a dad or as a grandparent. But what I do know is that we can learn from this mom in this story because she shows us that even in our desperation, first of all, uh, that we can still show courage. You know, it, it took courage for her to do what she did to go against the ruling of the Pharaoh. She knew that if she was caught, her whole family would likely be killed. But she did what was right. Her husband with her did what was right because they feared God more than they feared man. They showed tremendous courage that only God can give. The reason they were able to show that courage is because they also had faith. You know that Moses' parents actually show up in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. It's been called the Hall of Fame of Faith. This is what it says about their faith in Hebrews eleven twenty three. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. It, it took faith for them to hide Moses. It took faith for them to place him on the Nile in this basket, hoping, even expecting that somehow God was going to do something to rescue their child. Their, their faith was not a sit around and do nothing kind of faith. It was a, it was a faith that was active, a faith that led this mother to do something because she trusted that God is always doing something, even when we cannot see it. That leads me to the second aspect of this story. Not only is this a story of a desperate mother, this is also the story of a divine intervention. You know, when Moses's mother sent her daughter Miriam to watch that little basket from a distance. Probably the last thing that they wanted was for that basket to be discovered, much less to be discovered by an Egyptian because the chances are that was not going to end very well. And yet in God's providence, it was the baby's discovery, even the baby's discovery by a member of Pharaoh's royal house that in God's plan ended up leading to his salvation. We don't know if Moses' little basket floated down to the area where the princess went down into the water to bathe or whether perhaps his basket was more or less stationary in the reeds and, and the princess in God's providence chose this particular spot on this particular day to go down into the Nile to bathe. But either way, in God's providence, the, the daughter of Pharaoh and that basket were in the same place at the same time. As she was in the water from her vantage point, she saw that basket floating there among the reeds and she asked her attendants who were walking along the shoreline to reach down and to pick it up and to bring that basket to her. And in verse six, we find out what happens next. It says, when she opened it, she saw the child. 
And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. You know, I believe God used even the tears of baby Moses to reach the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. She knew, as the text says right away, that he was an Israelite, that he was a Hebrew, either from his appearance or from the way that he was dressed. But clearly and thankfully, this princess did not have the same cold-blooded heart that her father, the Pharaoh, had. The text says she had compassion on the child. The word that's used for compassion there is, is a word that also can mean to spare something. I think from the moment that she saw that baby Moses, that she had made a decision to do whatever she could to spare him. She had compassion on him. Now all this time, Moses' big sister Miriam was waiting off in the wings, watching what was happening. I don't know what gave her the courage to do what she did. Maybe she saw something in the princess's face that told her that Moses was going to be okay. Maybe she was close enough to hear what the princess was saying. Maybe she was saying things like, he's hungry, I have to do something, I can't leave him here like this. We don't know, but but somehow she had the courage to step forward and, and take what is really probably the bravest action in this story as, as a slave girl to speak to the daughter of the Pharaoh and to say to her, would you like for me to go get one of the Hebrew women to be a nurse for him, for you? And when in verse eight, Pharaoh's daughter says, go, as one person said, that's really the turning point in this story because right then and there, she had made the decision to protect this baby. And Moses's protection was assured because of who she was, because of her position. Of course, when Miriam mentioned uh, going and getting one of the Hebrew women to be a nurse for Moses, uh, she had just the Hebrew woman in mind, and that was her own mother and Moses's own mother. And when she ran into her house and told her mom that the baby had been discovered in the basket, I'm sure there was a moment of terror at that point. But then she went on to explain what had happened, how the Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on Moses and how she had been asked to go and get a nurse for him. And so they go back and they talk to Pharaoh's daughter. I'm sure the joy in their heart was so immense at what God had done. And yet they had to try to keep that suppressed and not give it away that they were actually related to this baby. And then in verse nine, Pharaoh's daughter tells Moses's mother to take him and to nurse him for her and that she would actually pay her to do that. How ironic is that? Not only is this baby saved in the most improbable way by a member of Pharaoh's own house, but now Moses's mom is getting paid to nurse her own child. How crazy is that? Mo Moses's mother knew what we all know, that this was nothing but divine intervention. That God had intervened in her life and in the life of her child, that his sovereignty was at work, that he had rescued her child incredibly. And of course, we know because we've read the rest of Moses' story that God's plan for this baby was way bigger than his mom even knew at that moment. Again, I don't know what trials and what difficulties 
you're going through right now in your life. Maybe you don't understand what's happening to you or what's, what's happening around you. I think there's a lot of us that are in that situation. We're living in a crazy time. But you know, the people of God felt that way too at this time. In fact, they were going through something that was way harder and uh, more difficult than what most of us are experiencing in these days. They were, they were living as slaves. They were living in bondage. Their experiences were terrible and they were having experiences and yet they didn't have any explanation for it. They didn't know why any of this was happening and they didn't know what God was doing. They didn't know that at that very moment down at the river's edge, God was saving a little boy that years and years later he would use to save them all. They could have no way to know what God and his sovereign purpose was doing. You know, at that time, uh, babies would be uh, nursed through their third or fourth year of life. I'm sure that Jochebed enjoyed those precious early years with Moses, years where she got to see him learn how to crawl and how to walk and how to talk. Years where she was able to uh, tell him stories, stories of their faith, stories of the God of heaven and earth, the God of Israel. But Jochebed knew, just as Hannah knew in the story of Hannah and her son Samuel, that uh, her days with this child would one day come to an end. She knew eventually she had to take Moses and to give him to the princess where he would grow up in Pharaoh's house. In verse 10, we read about that moment. It says, And the child grew, and she, that's Jochebed, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. This verse means that like perhaps many of you who are watching this, that Moses was adopted, that Moses grew up with his adoptive mother, the daughter of the Pharaoh, and she is actually the one who names him Moses. The, the word Moses is actually an Egyptian name that, that means very simply son, and, and yet it was a well-chosen name because it also sounds like the Hebrew word uh, to draw out of the water speaking of the way he was drawn out of the water uh, when he was found and rescued by her. But what an appropriate name for Moses, because as we know later on, God would use Moses to draw out his son, the nation of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt and set them free. That's why there's one more aspect of this story that we cannot miss. Not only is this the story of a desperate mom and not only is this the story of a divine intervention, but it's also the story of a dramatic rescue. And when I say that, I really don't mean so much Moses' dramatic rescue, although it was dramatic and he was rescued. But, but what I'm referring to really is the way that God would use Moses when he was much older to rescue the entire nation of Israel in a very dramatic way. You know, Moses's mother, Jochebed, could have never dreamed what God had in store for her son. She could have never dreamed that, that one day Moses would have an encounter with God himself, that God would speak to Moses from a burning bush, that God would call Moses to, to go back to Pharaoh and stand in his courts and, and to speak on God's behalf and to say, let my people go. There's no way 
that Moses' mother could have foreseen. That God was going to do because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, that he was going to, to unleash all of his wonders on the land of Egypt and that after the 10th plague, that Moses would lead the children of Israel out of Egypt as free men and free women. There's no way she could have foreseen how God would use Moses to open up a path in the Red Sea and to lead the children of Israel across on the dry ground. No way she could have seen what would happen at Mount Sinai when God would give to Moses the Ten Commandments. She couldn't have known what God was going to do with her son. God was writing a dramatic rescue story and she could only see just a small part of it. You know, the truth is this story isn't just a story about a mother and her baby boy. It isn't even just a story about the rescue of God's people, Israel. This is actually the story of our rescue. We'll go quickly here, but I want you to notice with me, there's actually three pictures in this story of our rescue story. The first picture is the picture of the ark. You know, I said earlier how some translations use the word basket there. I'm thankful that the New King James uses the word ark because that word, that Hebrew word, is only used in one other section of Scripture and it's in Genesis chapter 6 and following. It's used in the story of Noah's ark. So Moses was laid in an ark. I believe that word was chosen intentionally. You know, Noah's ark uh, was used to save a myriad of animals. It was used to save eight people, Moses' whole family, during the days of the flood. They were saved because they were on the ark from the judgment that God brought upon the world. Well, Moses was also placed in an ark, but his ark was an ark for one. But in the same way, he was saved from Pharaoh's judgment that was being unleashed upon the land. But the story of the big ark, of Noah's ark, and the story of this little ark, this ark for one, Moses' ark, are both pictures of the salvation that is available to us today in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our ark. And when we come on board the ark through faith in Jesus Christ, we find salvation from the judgment that God will one day bring upon the world. So Moses' little ark points us to Jesus, but also Moses' adoption points us to Jesus as well. Because in the same way that Moses was adopted by the princess and grew up as a part of Pharaoh's house, the New Testament tells us that whenever a person puts their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he or she is adopted by the King of Kings, that we become a part of God's family, a part of God's house. Here's how Paul put it in Romans chapter 8. He said, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So if you are God's child today, you are his child by adoption. You are adopted into his family the very moment you put your faith in God's son, Jesus Christ. That's another picture of our rescue story. And then finally, 
There's the picture here of a rescuer who was also himself rescued. You know, there's an awful lot of parallels between the story of Moses and the story of the Lord Jesus. Just like Moses, when Jesus was born, you might recall there was a crazy king named Herod who was jealous of what he had heard that there was a king who had been born in Bethlehem. And so just like Pharaoh did, he gave out a terrible edict, a terrible law that every baby boy in Bethlehem, two years old and younger, was to be put to death. But just as God did with Moses, God rescued Jesus. He warned Joseph and Mary and they took Jesus down to Egypt of all places. Out of Egypt, the Bible says, I have called my son. Jesus lived there as a baby until the time that God told Joseph it was safe to bring him back to the land of Israel. So Jesus was rescued as a baby, just as Moses was. And then in a far greater way than Moses, Jesus would grow up and be the rescuer that every single one of us needed. That's why Jesus came, to be our rescuer. He came to die on the cross and to pay for our sins so that we could be set free. Not set free from bondage to the Egyptians, but set free from bondage to sin, set free from the penalty of our sin that we deserve. And he, he set us free because he's already paid for it when he died in your place and my place at the cross. You know, the Bible says because of our sin, we all deserve eternal death, eternal punishment in a place the Bible calls hell. That would be our future were it not for our rescuer, the one who came to set us free. You know, this is a Mother's Day rescue story. But here's the question I want to ask you. Do you have a rescue story to tell this Mother's Day? Friend, Jesus came to rescue you and to rescue me. He came to rescue every mom that's listening today on this Mother's Day. He came to rescue every dad that's listening right now. Every grandparent. He came to rescue every boy and every girl that's listening right now to these words. But in order for him to be our rescue story, we have to come to a place in our life where we surrender our life to Jesus, where we admit that we're a sinner, where we ask Jesus to come into our life and to save us and to forgive us and, and to make us new. Friend, has that ever happened in your life? If it hasn't, if you would say, you know what, this Mother's Day, I don't feel like I have a rescue story, but I I want one. I know that I need to be rescued. Friend, right now, where you are, you can cry out to God and he will hear you. You can cry out to him and ask him to forgive you. Ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life, to, to become your rescue story. And friend, if you do, your life will never be the same. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Not only that you rescued Moses, and God, not only that you rescued the children of Israel. Father, we thank you today that you sent your son, Jesus, the greater Moses, to rescue us. Father, we need to be rescued. We read that in your word, that without you, we are lost, that without you, we are dead in our sins. But God, we thank you that you love us, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, that we are not beyond the reach of your love for us. 
Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be our rescue story. I pray that everyone who is listening right now would find their rescue in Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.